1: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Today's episode is brought to you by probably one of the best record labels around Merge Records. They've been in business since 1989 and put out all of the jams. They sent me three new records that I have to tell you about. X-Hex, Heavy Pop Rock, super good. Nashville's Lamb Chop, which is so, so weird, but so, so good. And this one threw me for a loop because never heard of it before. Abebo Sound Machine from London, kind of a disco, techno, funk thing. Super, super good. You can stream them anywhere you stream your favorite musics or this very podcast. I want to give you 20% off at mergerecords.com right now. So use the code W O R D S, that's word, and get 20% off. Order all the vinyl, all of the stuff that you want is at mergerecords.com. I love them so much. Thank you for the support of the show. And now, here's the rest of it hi everybody how are you doing today tomorrow i don't even know what time or day it is because uh, i am exhausted i just got back from japan and i'll probably have more thoughts about this whole thing probably i don't know maybe next week yeah most likely but i was on tour with my band in japan and uh, it's just an unbelievable country I'm, i'm just gonna put it like that it's uh it's Just so incredible. That's all I got to say. But you didn't come for me to be groggily talking about tour. You came here to listen to a chat that I had with Aram Arslanian. He played in bands like Champion, Betrayed, The First Step. He was also the proprietor and owner of React Records at one point and is a dude that is just down for the cause, down for the core as they say. And he also is from the Pacific Northwest, played in uh, you know, a lot of bands that existed in the Seattle scene, which is this is the conclusion of the uh, whole Seattle music scene as it were. The focus on it all during the month of March. That's what we did. If you missed any of the previous episodes, you should uh, I mean not like there's like some serialized narrative throughout all of them, but you know, dive back and listen to those because those have been some really, really fun chats. But uh, I want to tell you to subscribe to the show. If you don't subscribe to the show, you are missing this regularly being a part of your life. If you're just ducking in and out, don't do that. Come on, man. Just listen to every single episode. Well, no, that's, that's maybe too much pressure, but subscribe, okay? Because it helps the show, boosts it up the ratings, makes it easier to discover all that stuff. I would really appreciate that. And you also need to visit rockabilia.com because they have the best band merch in the game. So many items you can possibly want. They have 500,000 different things in their store, which are, I can't even fathom that number and like how huge their warehouse must be. And you need to use the code PC because that gets you 10% off of your order. And, Fast shipping, great customer service, all real legit stuff. The bands get paid, you get quality merch. It's a win-win scenario across the board. I love it. So yeah, that's that. And uh, Aram was such a good discussion. Like I had this maybe a couple days before I left for Japan and he was so energizing. He was very excited to not only share his story, but talk to me appear on this podcast and we had a great chat. He actually... Kicked back a couple of uh, you know meetings that uh, he had to be like no let, let, let's keep going this is really good so I loved it thank you very much Ram for doing this and uh, yeah let's just let's dive in okay here is my chat with a Ram you were not in the band at this time but you know I met uh, basically Champion when I think they came down with uh, trial I know taken played with them at the pch club so it was like champion taken you know uh, trial and um you know i knew chris because everybody knows chris um but you know lo- loved the bandit and then um you know a- as i started to see especially off the the second demo which i find it so funny that that you that there were two demos that existed for champion because usually bands just do one obviously um But I, I'm guessing that like those, you know, first tours that you started to uh, go on because you you joined the band kind of right around the second demos release, right?
2: Yeah, and I was actually on that tour with Trial and Champion. I was uh, Trials Roadie.
1: Oh, that's right. I was like, I I was trying to place it because I mean, there was like you know 30 people at that show, but I was trying to place. I was like, I don't know. Like, I know we didn't meet then, but uh, yeah. Anyways, but that's funny. So, uh, anyways, but the. I'm guessing that those first initial tours that you were, you know, doing with Champion and kind of, you know, getting out there was just extremely exciting because, you know, the people were, you know, anticipating you arriving and, you know, being aware of the demo and singing along and stuff like that in ways that I felt like, you know, that took a little bit longer for bands to kind of, uh, you know, get their name out there. And it seemed like that second demo really kind of, you know, hit a nerve. Did you notice that as you started to get out there?
2: I joined champion. The second demo had been out long enough that it had definitely created you know, people connected to it. And, uh, we started doing stuff on it, but I think my first tour with champion, I don't know if the seven inch was out yet. I don't think it was. So I think we did it. I think we did one tour without the seven inch, the first seven inch. And then the second tour had the seven inch and we had, I believe those side by side covers and I'd say like pretty much right from the start, the reaction, um, was really, really positive. So leading up to that, I just played in local bands. I'd, you know, played in uh, a straight edge band called face tomorrow and we did like a full us tour on a, on this demo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, I mean, terrible, just terrible, <laughs> well, terrible is too much. Terrible. It was like, it was, fun. it was just your, it was just your like totally generic straight edge, hardcore, I mean, really I was trying to do um, something that was influenced by Utah Today and Mouthpiece and it just, it turned out however it turned out. But we did this, uh, I think it was a six week US tour on a demo, strictly on the thinking of this, that I was like, hey, I don't know if I'm ever gonna get to do like big tours in my life, which is what I'd always wanted to do. I really wanted to just play hardcore, because I love, and still to this day, I love hardcore. And growing up as a kid in Calgary, you know, so I grew up in kind of the middle of Canada. I grew up in a, in a kind of a chaotic home. Um, my parents are really just very lovely people, but uh, there was a lot of difficulty that we had in the home. There's like some mental health stuff. There's just a lot of stuff going on. And I also went to Catholic school growing up. So I really fell into the thinking of good and bad. And like the world was very black and white for me. And I had grown up, with a lot of the sense of people in authority are going to let you down. They're going to, it's going to be bad. It's just going to be a bad situation. And I felt a lot of my earlier life, just isolated, totally alone. Like I was a loner as a kid. And I was, I spent a lot of time in my youth being really afraid and not, not afraid physically, but just like, like life, like I'm afraid of life basically. And so I got into skateboarding around grade five, which was like my first real culture that I latched onto and said, this is this is what I'm about. And I stayed skateboarding, like even when skateboarding was totally out and nobody was into it. And I stayed into it. Cause like, I, I felt like an outsider and skateboarding was an outsider thing. And so it's what I attached to it. And it was cool. I love, and I still love skateboarding. I mean, I don't do it, but I, I love, I love skate culture and especially the eighties stuff um, from there. When I got into high school, it transitioned into punk and hardcore and, you know, I fell in love with like agnostic front seven seconds, bands like that. And really, at that point, I was like, "Oh, I just, I just basically want to do hardcore." And everything else that followed afterwards was just like it kind of organically happened. If I'm going to tell you, like in my youth, especially around 17, 18, 19 if you'd asked me what I want to do for my life, I literally was like, I just want to play hardcore. I just want to play in in punk bands. And I wasn't straight edge at the time. I didn't become straight edge until my early twenties. I think either 21 or 22. In fact, I had like a pretty bad drinking problem. So I was like real involved in punk, moved to Vancouver, played in some local, local hardcore bands that were like, okay-ish. And then my friends were in a band called Burden that were great. Really, really good. They asked me to fill in, uh, for second guitar because their other guitar player, uh, went to school, um, in Victoria. So I wasn't like in the actual lineup. I just filled in for them. And that was awesome. Cause they were a truly great band burden. I did that, met a bunch of people in the Northwest, got to know trial. I uh, wrote it for them on one tour, got a taste for touring, started face tomorrow, did a full us tour, came back from that and thought, well, I think that's it. I'll, you know, like hardcore. I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to like really be in a touring band. So I really threw myself into school and lo and behold, um, probably, I don't know, like half a year later or a year later Tim Mac hits me up and says, Hey, do you want to be the base player for champion?
1: Your move away from, uh, from Calgary. Cause I mean, that is a pretty isolated place. Um, you know, sort of not only geographically, but culturally speaking as well. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff that happens there, but you know, it, it is its own thing. Um, yeah. Did you feel, the, the the move away from it, was was that basically being like, all right, I, I need to kind of, you know, strike out on my own, um, that sort of stuff?
2: Yeah, and, and before I answer that, I do want to say, and you did capture that perfectly, there was a time where Cal- Calgary was um, culturally isolated, and of course things changed with the internet, and I really want to identify that the, key, the, the scene there and the art scene and the music scene has always been very progressive. Mm-hmm. And you'll find like in, in the prairie provinces like Alberta, because Calgary and Edmonton both have great scenes, um, Saskatchewan and then Winnipeg, and especially Winnipeg, there's lots of incredible culture going on there that people literally just made happen. Really DIY like, oh, I, I've read about these bands. I'm going to make that happen here. So when I was a kid coming up, that stuff was going on for sure. And there was a generation, many generations before, uh, before mine where there were incredible bands and really active scene. So, for example, part of that, um, you know, that movie, Another State of Mind, was filmed in Calgary. Yeah. And Calgary was a main tour stop. So it was culturally isolated and, and, and there was quite a bit of distance, but people made it happen. And I also want to identify that people make it happen now. I mean, the scene there is outrageous. There's tons of cool bands. Um, They just flew true love in for a memorial show for someone from the scene who passed away. Uh, it's a cool place. And there, there, there was a maybe still a longstanding uh, festival that happens there called garbage days. Mm -hmm. And it's just cool. Like people basically said, Hey, we're going to make this happen. you see the same thing in Saskatchewan. You see the same thing in Manitoba. of course I know that's not like a, weird thing that happens all over the place. But the reason I want to identify that, it's that I didn't have to run away from there to find cool stuff. There was cool stuff happening and there's always been cool stuff happening. But yes. When I left though, I left with the intent to move to Vancouver to play hardcore. <laughs> really, sure. like I went to university, I flew here for university, but I mean, I was like, that's where the music scene is. That's what I want to do. And that was like my mission to play, in like hardcore bands and tour and travel and put out records
1: sure sure um and the the you know the the idea of you know y- from what i know of you which is uh you know just either you know mutual friends and you know our, our, our limited interaction together um you know you've always struck me as a, as a uh, confident person in the fact that you know you know how to uh, express yourself and you know how to um you know, kind of, exi- you're comfortable in your skin. Um, I'm going to guess that like you were talking about earlier where, you know, sort of the, the fragility of life was, uh, you know, very, <laughs> was very, uh, you know, heavy bearing on you. Um, so I- I'm guessing that confidence just kind of came, um, sort of through the life experience. And once you started to get attached to, you know, independent culture, um, or was that always kind of there, but then there was also that, that, uh, other side of, you know, the, 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 fear of life that you were talking about earlier.
2: Uh, it developed from the fear of life for sure.
1: Okay. Um, so if I was to
2: describe myself, what I, what I think is accurately, I'm, t- I'm a very confident in myself and I'm very confident in my ability to do things that I believe, you know, make a difference for people and, and, um, create something cool and interesting for people to engage in or to help other people. Super confident in my ability to do things and do things that I think are matter And I'm really confident in my ability to just be with people. On the flip side, I mean, when I say I grew up in chaos, I grew up, like I I didn't grow up in like a total, chaos could mean a lot of things to people. It was chaotic for me. And I really grew up having a very bad experience of people. You know, I was really bullied when I was a kid, like bullied very, very, well, at least for me, very seriously. And my home life was really tough, um, and I felt alone everywhere. So that fear of life basically told me, like, "Hey, nobody is going to help you. Nobody is going to trust you, or, or, or you can't trust anyone." There will always be food on the table. You're always going to have clothing. So I, I definitely was very lucky because a lot of people don't have that. Uh, but so there's always food on the table. There's always clothing, and if I needed something, for sure my parents would help me out. So when I say chaos, it's again, not like I was living in some totally precarious situation, but I'd say like the, the idea that I grew up in a house with four individuals, not like a family unit, it's just four people trying to survive what was ever going on for them. So there wasn't a great deal of connectivity or support or guidance or any of those things. And you know, growing up being bullied and, and like having to fight, like really fight a lot, physically fight a lot. Um, I just really grew up with the sense of like, oh, I need to do everything for myself. You can't trust people. The system's going to let you down. And in fact, not only is it going to let you down, it's going to do things to you. It's going to create these bad situations for you. So from a very early age, I was always very enterprising and would just do my own thing. And I didn't enjoy it. I, I was always the guy that was like, I'll start the thing. Like, I'll do and start that thing. Like, I'll bring people together. But there was always this like really heavy sense of like, man, I don't want to do this. I wish I could join some other thing. I wish I could be part of some other thing or I wish someone would take care of me. And uh, I always resonate with the name alone in a crowd because I spent the majority of my life feeling like super alone, even in group situations. So that confidence was like absolutely a function of saying, I need to figure out how to do this or else I'm that's it. That's the end of me. So I figured it out and I continue to figure it out and it's cool. It's worked really well for me in my life, but there is like a real heavy side of it, which is like a real sense of like isolation, feeling alone. And I, I struggle with that. And sometimes I struggle with it a lot and other times I don't struggle with it at all, but it, it is, it is like pretty much kind of a constant companion.
1: Sure. Sure. I, I really like the picture that you painted from that perspective. Cause like you said, I, the, you know, the, growing up within a a family and you know having that like you said that sort of connective tissue in the communal sense like you know that's what people are kind of you know quote unquote expected to have um and then when you don't have it you you know like you said you you can reflect retroactively on it and feel that oh this is not typical like i'm not seeing this in other people's families and stuff like that um but you know the the sort of four individuals that you were talking about it's just like that that is a very clear picture where it's just like okay like there isn't uh there isn't this idea that uh you know i i can essentially get all of the you know the, the toolkit that i need to be able to exist in the world i just kind of have to you know take steps in the dark like we all do to a certain extent um of totally. like you said navigating uh throughout the world and not having um you know that that proverbial anchor at home even though like you said sort of from a functional standpoint where it's just like yes you were living in a house and you had clothes and you were being sent to school and stuff like that there wasn't that um yeah. you know root so to speak
2: yeah totally and and i you really and you hit it right on it we all have to take these steps in the dark and I, I don't think my story is um spectacular i think it's like it's kind of sadly commonplace especially like kids growing up in in the 80s and, and just really that sense of uh deep deep isolation I think a lot of people and especially a lot of people from the punk scene uh, could connect to that uh, so it worked out real well for me but the difficulty that I experienced with it was that I always spent a lot of time coping with it by doing things for people so I, I always created things uh, you know I start bands I build things I start record labels I, I do stuff and a lot of it has to do with you know, like it's kind of like almost like putting money in the bank, like oh, I'm gonna build all these things and and that means there's gonna be people around me and that's gonna be mean I'm gonna be safe. When in reality, it's like, well, you're kind of creating all this stuff around you, but where's the real connectivity? And I'd say like that's kind of sharply come into focus in the past, you know, I'd say like the past like 10 years of my life where I've really thought like, I love punk and I love hardcore, I love it so much but I realize a lot of my interactions with it have been escapism, like I'm just kind of escaping this internal sense of isolation and saying like, how can I be involved in it and and do things that are still like fun and cool and really creative without also just perpetuating this cycle where I'm building things so that I have a constant sense of security. So I've been really trying to like restructure how I interact with things because it's nobody's job to make me feel safe in the world. It's my job for me to to do that. So I've been really trying to do a lot more of that internal uh, sense of like, I know I can build things on the outside, but what can I like really restructure and make better on the inside? So that's been like a real journey for myself in the, in the past while.
1: Yeah, I know. I appreciate you sharing that because I, I think that's, that, that is something that, you know, we are attracted to subcultures because of the, you know, all those feelings that you're talking about and, you know, feeling like you are, are keying into something that, you know, most people don't get keyed into. Uh, and then you find this, you know, secret society and you find this, this idea of, you know, starting stuff, whether it's, you know, starting a zine or being a photographer or whatever, like you, you start to feel, uh, you know, a, a ownership over the things that you do in, in ways that you don't feel like in any other aspect of your life. So, you know, I appreciate you painting that portrait. Um, I, I'm going to get. Yes, to, like you were talking about that, you know, school after, you know, punk and hardcore kind of, you know, consumed you and independent music in general, uh, was, was school ever something you kind of like cared about or that was just a delivery mechanism for you, you know, marching through your life.
2: <laughs> <laughs> totally. Delivery mechanism is like the best way to explain it. <laughs> okay. Um, I was, man, I went to my classes, I did all that, but you know, I was so focused on, collecting records, going to shows, reading zines, um, playing in bands, you know, all of the stuff. Like I would drive to Seattle for shows on like a Wednesday night, get home at like two in the morning, go to class at eight in the morning. And in my mind, it's like, well, I'm here. I'm I'm involved. It's like, get (laughs) out of here. You're not involved. You're like, you're filling a seat basically. And then also like, I didn't, I wasn't involved in university life at all. I didn't like get to know people. All I wanted to know was the punk scene. That's all I cared about, and it's like you know I had all had all the ingredients uh, in my mind uh, already. So why well, don't need any of these things? So it was. a delivery mechanism, and almost in spite of myself, I ended up getting quite a good education. (laughs) That's worked out for me really well, but it certainly wasn't my passion when I was young.
0: In a world where everyone is confined to their homes, society begins its largest bin watch to date. In the hallowed library of Hulu, or perhaps on a shelf of DVDs you haven't looked at in a decade, is a show that perfectly encapsulates life in the early aughts
1: Sure, sure. Was there a, um, I guess, kind of like a family trade or an expectation for, you know, what a, a Ram should grow up to be? Or was that, you know, basically you were, again, left to your own devices when it came to that?
2: I was left to my own devices. And, you know, I really want to paint an accurate accurate picture of my parents. Absolutely. Um, so my dad, uh, he grew up in Syria, and his family didn't have any money to send to university. And my, my father is extremely intellectual, and he's like a, a lifelong learner. So it was a huge deal for him to not go to university. So um, he worked his way up in an engineering firm and literally became a a water engineer um, with no education, which is, you know, I, I believe that's a really big deal. And, uh, due to the recession in Canada, when it hit, of course, they laid a bunch of people off and someone with no industry designations is going to be laid off and not be able to get work again. So my dad had to make a living. Um, he, he learned how to do accounting. He basically had to like, just kind of patchwork, make a living for the family. Um, my mom on the other hand is highly educated. Uh, She's got a master's degree she's a Catholic school teacher. And so for different reasons, they were both incredibly invested. And, and by the way, so her having that master's degree is what allowed her to work full time. So she became the breadwinner of the family and that saved our family economically. So for each of them, me going to university and my sister going to university was a huge deal. And it was like not a conversation point. You know, there's very oh yeah, my parents. <laughs> it's like you're going around. You're going around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's very few things they ever made me do. They made me do that. Like my mom, who is a very um, you know compelling person. She was like, I was like you can go play your little punk rock games, like whatever you want to do. You can talk to me about all these punk bands, all the stuff you want to do. That's cool, but you're going to university. (laughs) And so the, you know, the difference there was that I was like, fine, I'm going to go to university in in British Columbia. So yeah, that was, it was very important. They didn't care what I did though. They were just like, you know, go be productive. And I'd say in my family, it's like the idea of being productive. Like don't, don't just take up space, be productive. That has been a a pretty central thing. And everyone in my family, all, all four of us, are extremely hardworking people. So that's that's the thing that I'd say um, they really put forward. Go to university and then do something of value.
1: Yeah. No, that's cool. I, 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 I like that. And I think that's realistically, that's what I see the kind of generational shift. And I mean, cause I'm in my late thirties and I know that you're roughly around the same age. It, it, I see generationally speaking that that's kind of the way that, that parenting has now evolved to where it's not this like, okay, you need to fall into one of these like, you know, seven categories, you know, doctor, lawyer, whatever finance person, uh, that there is a lot more, um, canvas for kids to paint on. And then to be able to, you know, like you said, have that, uh, that backbone of like, just be productive, like be, you know, be a hard worker, like whatever it is that you decide to do, just do that. Um, and focus Mm -hmm. on that. So it's, it's just cool that you had that, um, that, (laughs) that experience as opposed to like, okay, yes, clearly you're going to be an architect or whatever. So when you started to, you know, claim straight edge and adopt that label to yourself, um, you know, most people by that time had kind of you know, either already had adopted it or already filtered through it because, you know, the, the, the old adage of, you know, true till 21, um, you know, definitely exists. Uh, so w- w- did like your group of friends just kind of, you know, roll with that? Like, it's like, Oh, a Rams straight edge when, you know, most of us either had been claiming it or, you know, were aware of it already. Um, how, how did that kind of, you know, bounce around your, your group of friends?
2: Uh, they were totally cool with it. So I was a problem drinker. I, I like, you know, I, I identify as an alcoholic and, I've kind of been, I've gone in and out of like working a program at 12 step. I've never like fully immersed myself in it. I've definitely like kind of been on the fringes of that a number of times. so yeah i 'd say people were more relieved than anything because if you know me today and I, you can say that for anyone who's much older but i'm i 'm much different than I was when I was a teenager. But when I was a teenager, um, you know I got on a ton of fist fights, I was very, very, very angry when I was young, and I got a ton of fights, and I was just kind of like the guy that would show up to the party and be mean and say mean things and like you know create a scene like I was just that guy. And that's just an embarrassing guy to be. So, you know, it's that I'd go, I'd show up, I'd promise myself I'm not gonna act all these ways, I'd make all these deals with myself, like I'll only have a beer or two, I'd go, make a huge spectacle, next morning I'd wake up, I'd remember everything I did, I'd feel a huge sense of shame, and that shame would then get me to go off and you know get drunk again and do stupid things. So I'd say mostly my friends were like, whew, (laughs) thank God. Thank God, yeah. (laughs) you you do that man that's great but I would say the thing that I should have done that I didn't do was that I got into straight edge instead of dealing with the stuff that caused me to have a problem with alcohol and I'll tell you like I love absolutely love straight edge been one of the greatest gifts in my life is finding that scene finding the philosophies like all of these things it's certainly enabled me to live a much happier life than I would have otherwise Uh, I really wish that when I was young I would have um found 12 step work and committed to it at the time. Cause I think it would have helped me a lot more. So instead I just funneled all my stuff into straight edge and yeah, all my friends were super cool with it. And also again, like I'm a, I'm a very hard worker. So as soon as I found that thing and straight edge was definitely that thing for me, I just, boom, I put all my energy into it. And that really became my rallying point in, uh, yeah, I'd say everyone that I've grown up with, you know, I'm kind of relatively in touch with most of them still. And most of them were like, damn, like not only did you stop coming to my house I'm like ruining, <laughs> ruining my party, you went on and, and did cool stuff. So good for you. So, yeah, it's it's been largely a positive thing. I'd say the only place that like I have any like weirdness about it is like, you know, as I'm a bit older now, um, I'd like to think that I, I I like to believe that I rode the line of a straight edge of not being that guy. That used it to make other people feel bad about themselves. But as I get older and reflect, I definitely can see that I have done that. And that's where I'd say I have some space of like, not regret, because it's, you know, it's what you do when you're young sometimes. Sometimes it's what you do as you're growing up. Uh, for me, like people who stop being straight edge, I would always have, well, I would sometimes have an attitude of where, you know, I would, I'd feel it was like my right to kind of like poke fun at them. I would never cut someone out of my life. Like I was never ridiculous like that, but I'd like poke fun at people or kind of make comments here and there. And that's that kind of thing where it's like, oh, that's not about a scene. That's not about a belief. That's about like insecurity. And that's the thing I'd say about straight edge where I think it enabled me to kind of, kind of create a me versus them attitude about a lot of stuff that as an adult, I just don't want to have. I think it's just like, not a progressive useful way of being but outside of that and that that has nothing to do with straight edge that had to do with what i brought to it um but outside of that i i feel that straight edge has just been largely a wonderful totally awesome thing and i still totally identify as being straight edge like it's definitely something that matters to me
1: sure totally no i i appreciate that because that train of thought and walking me through that because i think it is you know especially once you become an adult and i'm sure you know when you've had this experience when you interact with people who are clearly you know not have never experienced our 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 subculture you know don't maybe have a tangential idea of what straight edge is but most people when you say that you don't drink you're either a recovering alcoholic um or you're super religious like that's just what most people think they're just like what do you mean you don't drink and it's like you you know yeah i don't yeah, i don't i don't have time to walk you through like you know 30 years of of punk and hardcore history so um <laughs> totally man yeah but and, and, yeah. and one thing I did want to
2: say though, though is um cuz we talk a lot about being young and an adult I know tons of young people who don't act that way about straight edge at all so right. I I do want to make it less about like oh you act like that cuz you're a certain age uh for me it was I wasn't aware that I was doing that at that age, or I wasn't aware of how lame it was to do that. And it wasn't until I got older that I could reflect back. So I know lots of young people who never act like that and are, are totally cool about it.
1: Yeah, it's th- through perspective. I mean, age age comes, you know, wisdom perspective, whatever you call it. But yeah, I understand. Like there, I don't care how like, you know, sort of, uh, and I, I don't use this in a, a bad, uh, in a bad sense where, you know, like if you're a middle of the road straight edge person where you're just like, yeah, it's my own personal choice. I'm not judging others and stuff like that. There's still, there's always that element of like, oh yeah, it's like I'm, I'm different than these people because I've applied this label and I'm doing this. So there is that, like you said, that us versus them, even though you may not be, um, you know, aggressive about that that or you know peeing in the punch bowl or you know punching people for drinking or whatever you know so yeah i understand yeah. what you're saying um you know you you are uh, you know an advocate for uh you know business in general like you said you've had this you know, entrepreneurial spirit your whole life and you know clearly the 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 work that you do um and the work that you have done you know in in corporate culture for you know many years um is obviously profoundly influenced by, you know, your experience and, you know, punk and hardcore and stuff like that. Um, but you know, as you were kind of, you know, uh, playing in bands and, you know, playing in bands that, you know, had to deal with money and tours and record offers and all that sort of stuff. Did the, I guess the music industry, like, did that interest you? Was that something that you were like actively participating in or was that something that you were just kind of like, well, I guess we have to deal with this.
2: Um, no, I actively participated in it. Um, and of course it was quite a bit different than it is now. So I'm, i just speaking to it from that perspective, uh, at that time, being on a record label cr- enabled your ability to do a wh- way more stuff, you know, to go on tours, to go to Europe, to put out records that people could get. So it wasn't that I looked at it like I wanted to be a career musician because when I was growing up, there was, there was no idea of a career musicianship. I mean, in in the punk and hardcore, there were very, very few bands that could do that. I think sick of it all, sick of it all being one of the only ones that really, that I would have said like, Oh, that's a total hardcore band, would be one of the only ones. So I it wasn't even in my mind. It was, well, we should get on a record label. Cause that means we can put out records that people will be able to get, like in general, will be able to get. And then, When we do that, we'll be able to do lots of touring and touring and and putting out records was always just like that was for me was at the end space. That's what I wanted to do. So, yeah, I was really involved in it really aspirational about it and of course at the time i wanted to be on revelation i wanted to be on equal equal vision records like any of that kind of uh those kinds of labels and then of course i went on to start like my own labels as well over time so i I would say i've definitely been involved in it but never with the idea like oh this is what i'll do for a living because i i have a real sense that very few people can have their passion become their um, way of living without that getting a bit corrupted because then you have to start thinking about what you want to do versus what's going to bring in money. And I know lots of people who have done that balance well, but for me, you know, that's that's the challenge I, I wanted to avoid.
1: Sure. And I, I think that is something that, you know, every, uh, hardcore band, uh, has to, you know, kind of reckon with that comes from, you know, a certain age and an era where it's like, you know, the, and it wasn't like, you know, the late nineties, early two thousands, like, you know, the word sellout, you know, being applied, to you know, it was, it was a much less, uh, it was much less of a loaded question at that point, but to your point, there is that idea where it's just like, you know, once a once a hardcore band puts out two LPs, it's usually the idea of just like, well, we either break up or like, you know, we kind of take the next proverbial step. And I know that, you know, that's the, clearly what Champion decided to do from that perspective, just because there was a lot of, um, you know, uh, well, not even pressure, but just kind of internal conversations with you guys to be able to be like, yo, like, do you know, do we want to do this? Do we want to, you know, be the, um, you know, touring 10 months out of the year band and stuff like that? Um, and I, I guess kind of, you know, pulling a question out from that, like, did you enjoy, I guess, the the, the kind of touring experience and kind of the, um, you know, the treadmill that it can seem at times? Or was it always just really like, I enjoyed touring?
2: Um, no, I enjoyed it mostly. I love the adventure. Like, you know, if, if for people who spend time with me personally, I'm very on the go. I'm, I'm always doing a lot of stuff. So it suited my mind really well. I'd say the difficulty of course was like the hours of dead time between shows was were, were tough, but I loved it, man. I I loved the experience. I loved doing it. I I loved it when it was like kind of grueling and um, you're sleeping on floors and you know, you're like living out of the van. I love that aspect because like that's just like, you're experiencing something very few people get to experience. And just going town to town, getting to know people, like, you know, you're building up your band from show to show, it's changing, from tour to tour, it's changing. You develop relationships, you find restaurants and record stores you love. Suddenly, cities that used to be a destination on a map become your backyard, you know them. Like, I loved that whole process. And then, of course, as the band got uh, a little bit more recognized, things changed. And, uh, things got a little bit more comfortable. We had really like established groups of people that we'd spend time with. And I loved that different chapter of of not just that band, but the bands that I've played in in general. That's been cool. Um, I'd say the place where it, it was tough is, and I, I think this is really, really common. You go on these really long tours and you start playing music basically for a living, which is what happened at one point. And life back home moves on without you. And it's not that people don't care because, of course, they care. It's just that you're never home. So they operate like you're never going to be home. So you come home and you're like, oh, (laughs) like my whole world has moved on without me. Like, and like you have to work your way back into life. And being the kind of guy that I am, where I have like a lot of uh, isolation, fears, and a lot of difficulty with like connectivity with people, and like from a just like it's tough for me to feel at home in relationships. So it would always feel like I was starting from zero every time I come home from the tour. And that was tough for me um, psychologically. But otherwise, I loved touring. And it's a cool thing. Best experiences. Got to see so much stuff. Meet so many cool people. Have things. like I have memories from that that will feed my soul for the rest of my life. So yeah, it was uh, really cool.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I think so many people from you know the the eras of uh, before you know touring really became like the you know the i mean touring was always a way that bands you know clearly were able to like make livings but I think the the way that I've always viewed it, and I think the people that have kind of that healthy uh, perspective on touring, where it's just like it's it's a collection of experiences rather than this um you know this thing that you have to do, like you said, in order to you know sustain your record cycle and be able to you know <laughs> make the income and do all those things. It's like if you try to maintain that i guess perspective even if you are doing the you know 10 months out of the year on tour uh that could maybe sustain you for a little bit longer rather than just like you know feeling like you're like oh yeah this is like literally become a job and i don't what if i i can't call in sick to this job like i have i have to show up because i'm yeah i'm three months into it or whatever
2: totally and you know there's one tour i had um I was really sick, really, really, really sick on one tour, uh, and I think I might have had walking pneumonia. Like I was like unbelievably ill, and I was in the U.S., so I couldn't go to a doctor because I'm Canadian, and um, I just I had to make it through. I ended up just getting antibiotics from someone. Like, hey, someone mentioned they had some antibiotics. I was like, give those to me. <laughs> <I did> <laughs> so <laughs> taking them, I love, I and love that, it, and it worked out. it worked out like I was all fine, but I mean, you know, I just have all these stories from these times, man. And it was, it was really, um, yeah, it was really something.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. (laughs) I love that. Just like it, it is that road mentality of like, Oh yeah. Like, I got to take care of myself, but like, you know, Oh, Oh dude, you, you have some antibiotics. You, you are, are, they expired? Oh, well, it's fine. It's fine. I'll still take them. It's fine.
2: <laughs> I know. Like I can't even like saying that now, like now that I have like a child and all this, I'm like, I can't, I can't believe I did that. But yeah, <laughs> totally. totally yeah.
1: Good, yeah, so that's was, what you did for sure. Survival. Um, yeah. And then you know, as kind of kind of along the same lines of the you know, as like you know, all the bands you've played in, and you know, clearly you you've played a a central role not only to you know the business, but then you know people know you through the band, and kind of that whole you know ego pride thing that gets attached to it, where it's just like, oh yes, you you know, you're a Ram from Champion or a Ram from you know the first step or Betrayed or whatever, all of the you know or React like all the the things that you have done. Did you ever kind of struggle with that idea of like okay, like is this person, you know, like being my friend because they, you know, want to play a show with me. And of course, like our level of fame is <laughs> clearly much different than, you know, like Hollywood A-list people or whatever, but like, there is that sort of, um, you know, push and pull with that. Uh, did you ever kind of have to, you know, sort of battle that, uh, that, that ego or being like, Oh yes, like I, I am known for this thing, but like, you know, I, I, I wanted to kind of just be known as a Ram, you know, like how, did that something that you had to struggle with at all?
2: Oh, oh, yeah. And I'm going to answer this in two ways. Please. Um, so, and I've talked a lot about about how I grew up here, because it's, it's more important for me as I, as I move forward in life, that if people are going to spend time to listen to something that I talk about, that I guess I just want people to understand me a bit more than just talking about the bands. And of course, I want to talk about the bands, but... Really giving people a little bit more insight into into just me as a person, um, rather than this like uh, a caricature, has become a bit more important to me. So I'm gonna i answer it in two questions. Good. Okay. Um, so the psychology of how I grew up and that real desperate need for connected connection, but also feeling like oh people are gonna let you down and and watch out for people. It for me that cycle of having people um, connect to you because there's a benefit to them was like deadly. And I would definitely connect with people knowing that they were using me like, and it doesn't make them bad people. (laughs) Like I'd say it's a transactional relationship, totally transactional relationship. And if you position yourself like to someone saying, Hey, I'm, I'm a tool, use me like a tool, like, like treat me, treat me like this then people are going to do it like i mean it's it's ridiculous to think that that's someone else's fault if you position yourself as saying i'm simply here for to help you and there's no need for you to have any kind of like real relationship with me then people are going to treat you like that and i certainly did that and I did a ton of stuff for people um, in the 2000s. Like I I did a lot of stuff in all of those, like a lot of stuff to help other bands and get people on tours and get people on record labels. And part of it is like, I'm just a community minded guy and I love to help people. And I, I always will. I always like, I've always liked helping people. It's part of my, both my jobs now and, and all that. So that's a part of it. But I fell into that deadly. Like I was a guy that, you know, I was kind of a go-to guy for a long period. And a lot of that, realistically, was all about safety. It was all about having um, a safe space in the social hierarchy where I was a go-to person. And if you're a go-to person, that means you're needed. And if you're needed, that means you're safe. And so I fell into a ton of um, really just hollow relationships. And again, no one's fault but my own. I, I definitely created that for myself. And over time, like, I mean, boom, the minute champion was done, that was like the end of a ton of those friendships. And, and again, not because they're bad people, but they've got no use for you anymore. And so it doesn't mean they're not cool with you. So I definitely felt, felt victim to that, but I was a victim of my own uh, creation there. And, and, uh, and I remember at the time bitterly feeling that because I knew I did it. And I also was angry about it. But I, and I was angry at other people, but really you just have to be angry with yourself. So that's part of it. And as I said earlier, like I was kind of like always creating these scenarios. And in the past 10 years of my life, I've really tried to step away from that as much, like as best as I can. And it's, it's a constant iteration of getting better and better at it. But on the flip side, what you said is like, do I, did I, did I, did I ever feel I wanted to be known as uh, like, oh, I want to be known as a ram rather than a ram who's in all these bands and the answer is like no, <laughs> I would have like fought that kicking and screaming because up into playing in hardcore bands, I never felt I had any worth to anyone in the world and I want to tell you like how weird that is because I was straight up like a therapist, like my job as a therapist was to help other people, and those people were usually very like thankful and really appreciative but I couldn't put any worth on myself. So everything, it's like this constant empty cup, like just pouring, like I need people to tell me I'm a good person, I need people to have, think I'm a, a valuable, I need this, I need that. So I'm just a constant cycle of doing stuff. So if you had said to me like, hey, we're going to take away, you're never gonna be known as this music guy ever again how do you feel about that? I would have been like, ah, <laughs> no, don't <laughs> right, do that. Right, right. And, and honestly, and you know, I'll, I'll open a, a bit on this is like, that is what happened. Like, I mean, uh, you know, the whole situation that went down in uh, 2016, it radically altered my world and it re- changed my relationships. It changed the way that I looked at the, the world around me. Um, incredibly shocking, horrifying uh, revelation. And in that, The thing that was the thing on a personal level, because of course there was tons of things to think about and be reflective about, but I'd say one of the things that in the years past that, that I've thought a lot about is when something becomes your whole world, despite there being an entire world outside of that, you are living a lopsided life. And I really realized I was living this totally unbalanced lopsided life where like my sense of worth was so based on the fact that I played in a bunch of bands when I was young, not even young, like I'm still still playing in bands at the right. time, right. Um, but that the personality or the the person I'd built up, and of course that person is just a version of me, and it's like a bit of a wall, a bit of a mask, and when that whole thing crumbled and was destroyed, um, you know, I experienced a level of like social death within like the punk scene, and, and had to really consider what that meant, and then I had to really look at myself in the mirror and be like, man, who are you? Like, who are you actually? Like, yes, you're this guy who played in these bands, he did these record labels, but who are you actually? And is there a way that you can actually let people know that guy instead of all of these other things? And <clears throat> the big discipline for me in the, in the past few years is just being trying to be way more centered in myself be way more honest with people about like what I feel good about what I'm afraid about and that a real connection here or a real sorry a, a real dedication is that if I'm going to do interviews if I'm gonna have conversations that I just be honest about about what my journey has really been through this stuff because I hope people get value out of it
0: hey guys it's Jack O'Brien co-founder of crack.com and I host a twice daily news and culture podcast with the funniest person i know miles gray what an honor uh, it's what an true, honor miles, please, tell, please. Them, tell them more about how hilarious i am don't tell them about my background in politics as a political operative or anything like that just keep going on about the funny i wasn't going to okay that's fine guys you can come get caught up on what is happening without feeling the life drain out of your soul at the daily zeitgeist you can find us on the iHeartRadio radio app apple podcast or wherever fine podcasts are given away for free
1: yeah sure no i i I agree wholeheartedly it's like it's easy to just dwell in the oh dude sick mosh parts great records like you know cool like it's easy to be you know like (laughs) wax nostalgic about that stuff but like if you are you know if you are just locked into that you know it, it makes you no, um, you know, better than the stereotype of the, you know, the high school athlete that scored the touchdown and like rides off that for 40 years, you know? And like, and then like you said, yeah. attaching yourself to, um, finding value outside of the, you know, the superficial, <laughs> the superficial, uh, successes that people have had. It's like, yeah, I, I, I completely understand where you're coming from.
2: And, and the thing about like pumpkin hardcore, um, at least my experience of it. So, a lot of people seeking safety. And of course, and there's no, that's not a critique of people doing that. It's a, it's a scary world and life is scary. Um, but there's only so much social landscape in any scene, in any community. And if it's a huge community, then there's lots of social landscape. If there's a little one, so it's like social real estate, in a little one, there's very little social real estate. And like, you know, for example, like if you play in a popular band, then you occupy a part of social real estate. Or if you're someone who's considered a figurehead of a community, you have a certain amount of social real estate. And a lot of space um, or people focus, or I have found that at least I focused a lot unintentionally without thinking about it and making sure that I was safe. Like I'm safe. Like, you know, people value me, they like me and you know, I'm, I'm good. And if I do these things, I'm safe. And that's not the, the thinking, the conscious thinking that was there, but that was certainly the practicality of it and having to like really, re, like reevaluate your life and like reevaluate like who you're interacting with and who, who you're close with and, and what you're, basically the way that you look at everything. Having to do that for myself was um like really like really tough. But it, I I I believe and I need to believe that it's um, you know, been beneficial uh to me as a human being. So yeah yeah, like hardcore I only had a great I've only had a great experience. And the negative things that have that have arisen have a lot to do with that come from my own interactions with it and the things that were the space that I've been. And then, you know, there's a whole other bigger conversation here that we're, we're that we're not going to have here today, but that I, I think about, and I do talk about a lot with people is about, data. Oh, so like, what's our responsibility as people in the scene to really tend to that community and of course that's a much bigger conversation and you know keep yeah. focused on what we're talking about now
1: yeah no 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 for sure I appreciate you walking me through that Yeah, a few last things before I let you go was the uh, you know like you mentioned previously with you know react where you know you you always good at starting things and you know in, and when I say always good like I, I I'm saying that you didn't say that <laughs> but you, you've been good at starting things and you know kind of creating momentum just because of you know the passion attention to detail and you know I, I personally it's like I was obsessed with the what you were doing from the react record standpoint and then you know that thing that turned into you know uh, essentially a full-time business for you because all of a sudden it was like you know having to do mail order and doing everything for the label um when did you know that it was like dude this is way too much for me to handle on top of everything else that i i do in my life um you know was that a difficult thing for you to kind of i guess recognize and be like this is too much i need to hand this off
2: um Yes. So it was it was hard for me to recognize and I did it past the point where it was healthy for me. Okay. So like any good alcoholic, I get like real resentful. Right. (laughs) I deal with a lot of resentment. (laughs) Sure. And like resent resentment is like the poison of the soul. And uh, you know, if you think about if I look if I think about the cycles of how I've done things, it's always I'll get I'll have to get really resentful and really like I'm being wronged here before I'll change something. And React was straight up the coolest coolest thing for me it was so awesome it was a place it was a time like everyone was involved there's such a community of thought in it like their bands were so cool and then it hit a point where it wasn't that but it was i'm i'm a ram and i do these things and there's these bands that rely on me and there's these people that work for the label and and all of these things but the thing that wasn't central was well why am i doing this i'm not enjoying doing it anymore um my attentiveness is falling off. I don't feel good about my interactions with uh, with people about it. And instead of just saying, "Oh, this isn't good for me anymore," I'm going to figure out a good exit and and hopefully the label will keep going. You know, I kind of like kept doing it with a bad perspective for at least one more year. It might have been two years that I was in that space. But then when it became clear, it became clear, and you know, we worked it out so that it went over to Ev good for f he's he's uh built a label in his own image and you know he's doing cool stuff with it
1: yeah no that's cool i i i knew that that was probably the way that it goes down especially it's like you know you when you are living day to day so close to a thing and then you know the, you're just like no but I, I can still do it and then yeah you end up convincing yourself and you're like oh no i, I should have switched that a while, or whatever so yeah i totally understand um the uh, kind of what you were hitting on earlier in regards to you know once you sort of did that that really in depth self audit in regards to you know friendships relationships and everything else um, it seemed like a common theme that I've always noticed uh, you know coming through in the decisions that you've made from you know labels and bands and stuff that there was a, a balance that you were trying to create kind of similar to what you were talking about where you know you would come back from tour and try to interject yourself back in with your group of friends and they're like, Oh yeah, all these things happen. You're like, Oh wow. Okay. Like things, things went on without me. Um, where, you know, is that something that you recognize within yourself? Kind of the, you know, the, the balance, uh, of kind of trying to, you know, juggle these few things, um, you know, as you're, you're trying to navigate through the creative world, or is that something that, uh, you only started to key into, you know, the past, whatever, 10 years of your life, it became more apparent to me in the past ten years, so uh, I'm 44. When I, probably around,
2: yes, like my mid 30s, I started to really feel. I was like, oh, like there's something else going on here, like because um, you can only play, <laughs> you can only play so many shows and put out so many records. To when you get to a point of well, am I having a different experience here? Or am I just trying to go back to the same well and drink the same water over and over and over again? So when does it stop becoming something where it's like, this is a unique experience and this is improving my life. This is changing my life. And 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 it's providing something for value for other people to, oh, this is just a thing I do to make myself feel better. And I think around my mid thirties, I started to feel like, you know, I don't know. Like I feel here, like I'm just kind of like, I don't know what else to do to make myself feel good. So I'm going to do this thing over and over again. And I want to be clear. I love, love playing music. Like I, I like the creative process. I like being in a band. I love the whole thing about it. And so part of it is just straight up recreational fun, like love doing it. Um, but I could do that in Vancouver you know, down the street from my house. Right. It takes a certain kind of thinking to be like, Oh no, like I should be in a band with people who live all over the world and we should come together every month and play three shows despite the expense and the inconvenience and all these things. <laughs> right. Right. So it gets to a point where it's like, Hey, if you've played a bunch of awesome shows, crazy shows that you're like, that was the best show I'm ever going to play in my life. And then you are just trying to chase that over and over again. That's where I started realizing like, no, this is a bit unhealthy. And, you know, so I started realizing it about 10 years ago, but I'd say when I hit 40, it really became more poignant. And even stuff that I was doing with the bands that I was in at the time where I was like, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing here, but I, it was just such a part of, like the right thing for myself, like for my own like growth as a person. I want to always play in hardcore bands. I always want to play in bands. I love the process of it. But if you're doing it, like why are you doing it? Are you doing it because you enjoy doing it and it's a healthy, fun, productive out, uh, outlet for you and people like it? Or are you doing it because there's this kind of need that's associated with it? And that need isn't wrong. It's not a wrong thing. But just be honest with yourself why you're doing it. And I guess in my 40s is where I started to get a little, little bit like more cognizant of like, oh no, this is really about trying to make myself feel good, feel connected to people. And so in the past few years like you know i've still been involved in music in a really low-key way but it's been just about writing songs spending time with people not playing shows not recording records and it's been really cool so it definitely was a lot more if i say i love playing music what i really loved was i loved having a way that i could have a community around me
1: i i see exactly what you're talking about where it's the um you don't realize the, you know, importance of certain things until you look at it with a different lens where it's just like, oh, yeah, the actual act of, you know, creation with your friends. It was more meaningful than like, oh, yeah, like, you know, playing in front of 800 people. And it's like, oh, yeah, like that's the that's the thing that I like. Like the other thing is, you know, pretty yes. quick and yeah. fleeting. yeah, I understand that completely. Yeah. And I love, love, love playing music.
2: Like I just love writing music and writing lyrics and creating cool stuff. And I love being in the studio. Like that has become something that I just eat up. It's just, and not doing it for an audience, you know, not doing it for, oh, this will be so sick when we play this or people will love this record, but just being with people and creating music. And I'd say that music has been one of the greatest gifts of my life because, like, now that I'm getting a little bit more accustomed to not doing it for a reason outside of just saying, like, "Oh, I love playing music," that has been a really cool and healthy shift for me. So I I really like that, and that's that's been something that, uh, as an old, like, as I get older, I'm able to to settle into
1: more. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and so kind of, you know, what we've been talking about, um, you know, kind of in and around your uh, professional life is the fact that, you know, because l- like you mentioned earlier, because you were doing a lot of um uh, sort of, you know, counseling and stuff like that when you were in Vancouver. And then I know that, you know, th- that shifted over to where, you know, you started working with, you know, corporate clients and you started, you know, basically doing sort of the, the business development and helping these people, you know, become not better versions of themselves, but, you know, clearly have an outside person be able to, you know, help look at whatever decisions they're making from a business perspective. Um, and like you joked before you we recording, most people look at the idea of you know like a punk and hardcore person being connected to corporate culture is just like dude what the hell are you doing like the, these are two worlds that don't make sense um you know so right. like walk me through that you know i mean it doesn't have to be the 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 you know like uh, you know down and dirty where it's like oh these are all the steps that led me to kind of look at it this way but you know how did you kind of reconcile those two ideas of like corporate culture and obviously you know punk culture that's you know clearly um you know the antithesis of a lot of the things that exist within that other culture
2: yeah, totally. And it's, it's a question that I, I love answering. So when I was a, a therapist, um, you work with people, period. You know, you're not like, oh, I work with this kind of person or this person that has this job or this person who doesn't have a job. You just work with people. You help people. And when I, when the opportunity presented itself to go work in the corporate world, at first I was like, Ugh, no, no, no. I'm not going to wear a suit. I don't want to do that. But I became intrigued with the idea that if I operate on the central premise that my job is to help people, period, just help people, then I can operate in a bunch of different scenarios as long as it doesn't cross an ethical or moral boundary for me. And that's where I said, well, I'm going to go give it a shot and I'm going to see what it's like and see if it crosses one of those boundaries for me. And I'll tell you that I have done what I believe to be some of the best work I've ever done in my life uh, in the corporate sector. So... I'm not going to say that I haven't met people who I'm like, Oh gosh, you're like, you're like a TV show person or you're (laughs) like someone from a movie. Like that's that's how you are. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Like, you know, I've absolutely met people like that, but those are the absolute vast majority. I mean, I could probably count on my hand how many of those people I've, I've met. Mostly I've met incredible, wonderful people with rock solid ethical cores, um, that really care about what they do. They really care about the world and they really care about their community. So I'm at a bit of an advantage because I get to work in whatever industry I want. I don't I don't take on every piece of work that comes across my, my desk. So there are some industries I just don't work in. And it's not to say that the people in those industries are bad people. It's that they have a difficult ethical frame. What they look at what they're doing is okay where I'd be like, no, I, I can't be involved in that. And that's fine. I can make those choices, so I'm very fortunate that way. Uh, but working in there, I'm here to help people. And I help people every single day. And, and as an example, um, you know, if someone is in the workplace and they are a poor leader, that means they're hurting themselves and they're hurting other people. Not like physically hurting them, but creating a really poor work environments, creating poor work culture. And you know, there's this ridiculous saying: uh, "It's not personal, it's business." It's like that's the most ridiculous thing I've heard. We all work crazy amounts of hours in our life, huge amounts of hours. So if you're if you know you have to work, you should work in a place that treats you with dignity and respect, where you have a leader that makes you feel that you're connected to them, that you matter, what you do matters. And if I really boil it down, at the end of the day, I help leaders lead in that way, communicate effectively, understand themselves, understand others, create better workspaces. Um, And, you know, I help companies make a lot of tough decisions on things, on people stuff. And I have a lot of really tough conversations with people uh, to help challenge their way of thinking and their way of doing. On the flip side, if someone has uh, a, a poor situation at work, I also work with them about how to advocate for yourself. How to share your ideas in a way that challenges those norms to create a greater sense of balance and equality working in the workplace. And sometimes I help people make decisions to leave companies because we look at the situation and say fundamentally today this company will not be able to change in a way that matters to you. And then I help people exit jobs. Uh, this job is essentially just being a counselor, but in the corporate world, and that's why everyone that works in the company is either uh, a counselor, a therapist, or a teacher because everything we do is about creating change. And so I only work with people who are actually trained in helping people make change. And it has been, I mean, I can't even tell you, like it's been, from a personal level, it's been the, one of the most satisfying things I've ever done because you know you're literally making people's lives better every single day.
1: Totally. No, it's, it's really cool. Cause you, when you put a, you know, coat of paint on something and that, is the only way that you view it where it's just like, oh yeah, it's gray. Like this thing's gray. And it's just like, well, there's, there's probably, you know, different variations of that gray. And when you actually, you know, I've always felt, and I, I know many people that are, you know, are our are, are peers think that, you know, like once you step into like this world, like there, the the profound impact that you have as a person when you are in the particular system that you are you know supposed to be against or whatever you know just from the the corporate side of things you people will will see like oh like this person's different this person like views the world differently because they've been exposed to you know it's like simply the act of talking about like you know veganism or vegetarianism and stuff people are just like whoa What what, what's this person got going on? And so like having those conversations internally and like you said, at the core idea of helping a person, it's like that just impacts people in ways that you're like, oh, like, of course, they're not not going to start going to hardcore shows and stuff like that. But having a little peek into that subculture via, you know, all of the ways that you teach uh, is so impactful in ways that people won't even be able to recognize that it comes from, you know, people getting on a stage and yelling, you know?
2: <laughs> right. And, and to add to that, you know, for anyone who listened to this, I, you know, I don't want to challenge anyone's thinking here. Like it, I'm not saying that, that corporations are working the corporate world. It's like, oh, you know, you have to have this total mindset shift and, and all, you know, embrace everyone mean, do whatever you're going to do. Like it, if, if, if you're going into the, the, the discussion being like, no, that's not for me. Hey, that's, that's fine. Like, there's no problem with that. I'll say for myself, just where I'm at in my life. Um, I want to work across lines. I want to help people. I want to do stuff that's that's going to create a higher sense of discourse, where we can get, where we can do business, but we can do business better in a way that people feel respected. They feel they feel held up. They feel supported. Where the workplace is, where people can look at a job and say, Well, of course I could work there because I see other people who are like me that work there. Um, I would feel comfortable in that workspace and that it would reflect, you know, things that are important to me from a, a, you know, a um, cultural value or using language that I, that I feel comfortable with. I feel that if I'm there, that the discourse will be respectful. Uh, I feel that the, the work we do, yeah, maybe, you know, um, maybe there are some concerns about whether it's possible to do this work in a way that's um, good for the environment okay, well then let's make sure that we're having the right kinds of conversations about it. Like, let's talk about what are the alternate ways that we can um, challenge ourselves or how can we bring in the people who are pushing back against us instead of ignoring them? How do we actually engage with them? And like, that's what my world is. And, and by the way, my world isn't always like these big inspirational conversations. Like sometimes I help people write emails But even then, I try to think of like the end user and how how the person receives that email, what matters to them. So there's big conversations. There's small conversations. But the thing that I know about myself is that I have to be involved in helping people. It's just part of who I am. It's what I want to do. I want to help people that I meet every day. And I want to help people that are are my clients. So if I'm going to help people, I want to help people in a way that has the biggest impact possible. And for me today, it's this work
1: totally no it's super cool I I, I love that uh, the last thing I want to hit on was the fact that, you know, like you mentioned previously, you know, you are, you are a father now and, you know, clearly that, that changes many people's lives. Um, you know, not only the way that they view the world and the way that, uh, you know, they view the world through the idea that, you know, you've been raised in a subculture and all this other stuff. So, um, you know, just wanted to give you the space to, you know, talk about, you know, fatherhood and the idea of, uh, experiencing all of that through, you know, all of this stuff where it's just like, Oh yeah. Like, you know I'm. Essentially, uh, you, you, I'm not saying you never anticipated having children because clearly that, that was the, that's not the case. But the idea that d- many people um, that are involved in you know punk and hardcore and stuff like that you know like don't uh, have this vision of like oh man I'm going to grow up and I'm going to have kids and stuff like that. It's just like oh yeah I'm playing shows and doing this you know. So how is fatherhood kind of you know ping-ponged around your head? um so i'm
2: i someone who came to fatherhood later in life, you know i said i'm, I'm four mm-hmm. we had our daughter when we were forty three and man, it's just been uh just the coolest thing you know it's it's a real perspective changer um for myself, I didn't realize how much of my life was just about myself, you know like i think and maybe I probably said this a lot of times in this it's like god, oh, I've been really community minded I've been like thinking about other people, but even in a lot of that stuff. You know, I was thinking about myself and what made me feel good and what was important to me, um, how I think things should be. Uh, having a, a little human depend on you, it's just changed everything where it's like everything is about her now. And it's been really, uh, I mean, the most magical, coolest thing that's ever happened to me and incredibly humbling because. Even if I think I'm, getting, I'm good at getting things done or I'm good about bringing people together, it'll <clears throat> challenge your ideas about what you're good on or how much patience you have when you have like a screaming like six month old in your arm and you don't know how to suit them at like four in the morning. Right. <laughs> and it's just really taught me a lot about having real patience really coming from like a humble space of saying like I actually don't know these things and and like I really need to learn them because this human being is going to learn off of what I am and what my my partner and I do really thinking about that heavily um, and being intentional with it and it's it's cool man it's definitely been um, it's been life-changing and you know I've been in a time where the past few years of my life, I'd say the last five years of my life have been like really like life altering and, and there's been a lot of tough stuff in there and there's been stuff like, you know, having a child, which is just so amazing and, and so positive, uh, that it, it just continues that, that evolution. So I'm, I'm really grateful. and really appreciative of, of my daughter and she just, she, she makes my world better every day.
1: Yeah, that's sick. That's, it's really, really, um, it's something where you don't really uh, have the words to, kind of describe it to people because i mean it's like you know there's two worlds there's people that have kids and people that don't and like you know you can understand each other's perspectives um, because you know everybody existed at one point without having children but then like when you you know you you feel like you're walking into a a, you know a cliche forest when you're trying to describe the the uh you know experience of of having a kid and you're just kind of like oh man like yeah i I," you know especially when you're talking to a person who you know does not have a child and you're just like uh, listen i don't want to bore you but it's pretty sick <laughs> you know it's like, yeah oh
2: dude it is it's so sick
1: man the fact that you know you were exposed to you know straight or you adopted straight edge you know a little bit later in your life and i know that you know veganism has been a real um you know, real focal point for you, not only you know in the you know your own philosophical lifestyle, but I know with like you know React releases. You know, there was definitely you know bands that attached themselves to you know the vegan and vegetarian lifestyle. There was always you know you were you were comfortable leaning into that. You know, how did I guess a simple question is like how did veganism kind of you know get introduced to your life, and then you know the fact that you are still sticking with it, and the fact that you are still passionate about it means that there is something that is you know that is profoundly changed you so uh you know walk me walk me through that process
2: so i got into i was like totally meat and potatoes eater growing up although my parents had a lot of ethnic food i grew up with a lot of um uh middle eastern food i um you know i also had like this irish side because my mom's irish so i just like you know, i just ate how people eat i guess and then of course i got in the punk, got in the hardcore started hearing about vegetarianism scoffed at it like i'll oh, get out of here you know, that's silly. And like a lot of people, I, I think this is probably a very, very common thing. Um, I got into vegetarianism, earnestly got into vegetarianism because of Youth of Today and Earth Crisis. Like, that's the one two punch. Youth of Today is the band where I was like, huh, you know, those lyrics to No More are incredible the thoughtfulness of those lyrics and it's like wow and of course that he literally jammed all of those lyrics into that song is pretty impressive too but like i mean the thoughtfulness of the song of that song is like unbelievable and so as a kid i was really thinking about those lyrics a lot and I, i didn't become a vegetarian solely based on them like i mean what also happened was around me that especially in the 90s um Vegetarianism and veganism really had a huge swell. I'd say on like a bigger cultural space. So what I think had been more of kind of a, a youth crewy kind of inner circle hardcore thing became just like a bigger punk thing. And uh, I got into vegetarianism, and then of course the Earth Crisis was the tipping point. And you know, I always kind of like chuckle around how people interact with the Earth Crisis because people who get it get it you know whether or not you like earth crisis they were for this subculture one of the most fundamentally important bands because they really injected a level of politics and whether or not you think those politics were corny or cartoonish that's that's fine but i'd say they're they're an undeniable band for the level of actual real change they created even if that change was just kind of for a period of time um, but yeah, youth of today and and um, earth crisis. But the interesting thing, at least for me, was that I got into it. But I got into it from like a cultural perspective. Like, oh, we're all we're all ve- vegan. Yeah, we're vegan. That's what we are. Um, and then I would say around ninety seven, um, you know, culturally again. There was a shift where it's like, oh, that stuff is silly. Like we're not into that. We're we're you know, we're meat eaters. It's kind of like more like a slap shot mentality, <laughs> right? Right. And you know, I could paint myself as this picture of like I'm, you know, I'm not a follower, but like, pff, like I'm just going to be real. Like I took a lot of social cues, uh, cultural cues from hardcore, and so suddenly I was I was vegetarian or I wasn't uh, vegan anymore. First I was vegetarian again, then I wasn't either. And I did that for about three years but I was always like a guilty meat eater. And I think those are like the worst meat eaters where it's like, I know better. And I would be like the guy that's like, Oh, I know better, but you know, it's I just, just so good. If I could be vegetarian. yeah. And it's like, if you're a vegetarian or vegan, that's the worst person. Cause you're just like an, you're like, shut up. Like <laughs> do it or don't just like own your decision. Right. Uh, and it was, it was joining TFS that put, put it over the line. So I was kind of slowly working my way back there. I'd would i gone to just uh, eating fish and I literally would be like, I'll probably just stay in this space. And then um, I got asked to join TFS. And I want to be really clear. They didn't say you have to be a vegetarian at all. And I, I remember the conversation. is like, well, guys, I'm not vegetarian. And they're like, that's fine. You know, like, yeah, we have a vegetarian song, but we want to make sure that we're a band that, you know, is inclusive and it doesn't, like, just separate people out. And we were in the band, and I remember having a talk with Greg Bacon about it one day. And Greg Bacon was, like, really... Um, at first he was kind of like busting my chops about it and he would be in like, you know, you're in the tour van, you make fun of each other, but we actually got into a good conversation about it and really talked about it. And I just felt really like encouraged, I guess, it was like, Hey, you know, you don't have to do this. Like, you don't have to do this to be a part of the band. Um, and I got into it and got more passionate about it. And instead of it being something I got into, because that's what you did as a straight edge hardcore person, I got into it because it's something I believed in. I also had my first pet at the time, which was this wiener dog named Josh. And Josh was like the coolest dog because um, he's like super smart and had this incredible personality. And so he had likes and dislikes and you know preferred things and liked certain people. And you just, when you see an animal interact like that, you just really get this idea of, we've been indoctrinated to think of animals as things rather than individuals. And when you see the individual personality an animal you realize like oh i'm an animal as well we're all animals that's just a different kind of animal and they have different ways of thinking and being but my life is no more important than their life and so those things like playing in tfs and having this dog and i know that sounds like almost like an odd combination it <laughs> no. took me from being someone who was like oh yeah you know vegetarian what you know i should be like that to being like oh no like this is actually super important to me to becoming like a very passionate vegan and i do believe that so i've been vegan now for i think 12 or 13 years in that area and i i really am just fundamentally i want to tell you that straight edge is super cool i love straight edge i love hardcore but if there's one thing that i really am passionate about and, and very happy to talk about it's about being vegan for animal benefits number one respecting the lives of other animals two, respecting the earth and really like we're literally eating our way into oblivion. And the third is like just the health benefits of it are, are so profound. So that's the thing of anything that I'm into from like a, a I guess point of view or like a, a personal politics point of view. It's veganism for sure.
1: Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, it's, it's, it's a through like it's so much more um connected i mean it's a personal decision but then those personal decisions have ramifications you know across the board in ways that you know the straight edge to a certain extent does have the same sort of impact because you're removing yourself from um you know a lot of the uh you know the the cycles of not only abuse but then the cycles of you know companies that are you know making you know millions of dollars billions of dollars off of you know sometimes the misery of people but yes i i completely and fundamentally agree with you so that's 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 awesome that you've been able to make all, all those through lines connect and, and understand the importance of of all of that kind of connecting together it's really cool well aram we've uh we've we've done it my friend this was great thank you so much for coming to hang out it was really enjoyable for me
2: oh thank you i really appreciate it man
1: oh boy that was a discussion wasn't it does, you cannot help but feel motivated after that chat to just be like, "Yeah, I want to build something. I want to do something." It's awesome. Like Aram, definitely reminds me of uh, you know why like I got into this whole thing and the the creative energy that can bounce off two people. It's just oh, it's so cool. So thank you very much, Aram, for having this conversation and sharing it, sharing your story to all of the fine people listening to this podcast. Next week is the divergence of away from the you know specific. Month of March, in regards to the Seattle music scene. And I have Ryan Tuck, who is the bassist for a band called Fit for a King, who is uh, quite large within the context of modern metalcore, hardcore, whatever you want to call it. Uh, great dude, is a fan of the show, wrote me, and I was like, oh, dude, I've heard of your band. Like, totally down to have you on. And we had an awesome, awesome chat. So that's what we got next week. And um, I love it. Okay. Until then, please be safe, everybody.
3: Hi, I'm Esther Dean. I've made my life by writing songs like Fireworks by Katy Perry, Super Bass by Nicki Minaj, What's My Name by Rihanna, just to name a few. And now I'm having an absolute blast sharing some of the knowledge that I've learned with upcoming songwriters on Songland on NBC. I'm excited to welcome you to a brand new season of Songland and Songland's podcast, giving you new insight into the magical art of songwriting as told by some of the best in the business and also the pioneers and the up-and-comers who will be shaping the hits you'll be listening to for years. We have an amazing roster of talent this season. I promise you, you don't want to miss one single episode. Don't miss Songland, Monday nights at 10, 9 central, and join us here on Songland's podcast, available every week after the show on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts.